This is Howard Anderson, Managing Editor at Information Security Media Group. We're talking today with Susan Miller, an independent attorney and consultant. She's been at the forefront of healthcare security and privacy issues for many years. She currently serves as co-chair of the Weedy Security and Privacy Workgroup. Thanks so much for joining us today, Susan. Well, thank you for having me. Many group practices are preparing to implement EHRs and hoping to receive federal financial incentives under the HITECH Act to help pay for some of the costs. At what point should they conduct a risk assessment to help develop a security policy for the new electronic health record systems? And what are the vital components of such an assessment, especially for a smaller practice? Well, Howard, I would say that they need to do it now. They have to be on top of it before they actually talk to a vendor or if they're going to ask their vendor for additional functionality so that they can get the incentives. So I suggest they go to two places. There's a weedy small practice white paper written a number of years ago for small practices for privacy and security, and it has a short list of a privacy and security assessment, and the things that uh, they suggest within this document are, of course, policies and procedures and good training, but they also suggest an inventory of the computer system and software within an office, a regular virus check, a mitigation program in place if, the, if there's something wrong, like a virus gets in there. They, you need a plan uh, for a disaster recovery in any office. Uh, for a systems failure or something worse than that. And so those kinds of things. And it, they also suggest in that paper uh, specifically protection for email uh, communication. Which these are foundational steps that I think you need to take if you're going to do a risk analysis. The second place I would look would be in the NIST Special Publications 800 Series Document 66, which is dedicated specifically to HIPAA security because I think the HIPAA security and privacy rules are the foundation of what you need in an EHR. And they have some suggestions uh, for risk assessment, and one of the things they ask are, what are your current and planned security controls? Those are the things on your system. And what kind of things you use currently, but the interesting thing that they suggest that you need to look at, you wouldn't ordinarily think about for security, but it is what is your region prone to for natural disasters, such as an earthquake, a flood, or in my part of the world, ice on the lines over the winter. So those are some of the things I suggest. So how often should the risk assessment be updated once you've got one? I think of needing to do a risk assessment, an updated one is when you have a problem or when things change. So let me explain. If you've had something go wrong with your system, like it crashed for some reason, maybe you need to do a a part of a risk assessment dedicated to why your system crashed. And if you change things within your organization, say that you're doing this kind of medical practice, but you've asked somebody else to come and join you as a partner or as a a second in your office, and uh, you are adding a different kind of practice, you would do a different risk assessment. When you upgrade your tools, your electronic tools, potentially you'll do a risk assessment. If you actually move buildings, you might do a risk assessment because part of your risk assessment is is your building itself secure. So those are the kinds of areas that you need to consider to do an updated risk assessment. Yes, physician groups of all sizes shop for an electronic health record system. What questions should they ask vendors about privacy and security issues? And should those questions be different depending on whether the practice hosts its own system or accesses it remotely via cloud computing? The baseline for anything 
is the HIPAA privacy and security requirements and the new updates to that that are in the high-tech law and the regulations that are coming out. So those are the kinds of questions you need to ask. And the kind of questions you need to ask for cloud computing are just being discussed, but they are the same kind of questions that you would ask under any circumstance. Who has access to this data? Who can get their hands on the data? And you need to know that. And the other thing is you need to be able to audit who touches the data. So under any circumstances, whether it's floating in space in a cloud or it is in any other kind of electronic system, you need to know the authentication rules and the access rules and the audit rules. Those things are very important. Should all group practices implementing EHRs use encryption, and should they use it mainly for mobile devices or workstations and servers as well, and email? The answer is yes, 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 and yes. In today's world, the cost of protecting your system and doing the training is small compared to the loss of your reputation and the money. This is true for even a small provider. So to protect one workstation with encryption that you then have to train your staff on is probably $500. The loss of your reputation is much, much worse. You don't want to see yourself on the front page of your local newspaper or in your 6 o'clock local news. So I think that you should have encryption uh, on all levels. Uh, the small practices that I work with are beginning to go to it, and there are um, some forms of it that are not horribly complex. I'm not saying that you have to do the most deep in the small practice, but I think it's good to have even your data at rest encrypted so that somebody walking through, like you're an accountant who walks through a small practice, cannot turn on your system and get to the data. Should group practices consider using two-factor authentication for clinicians in the early months of implementing EHRs or later in the game? Authentication is, you know, required to secure data, and you have to ask for access to it, and you need to be authenticated. So this means that you have to know something. You have to have something about yourself, such as a password. Um, you have to request something that's unique, like an ID. And you have to uh, potentially request on the third level um, something that I as an individual has. For instance, my thumbprint, my um, iris data, a fingerprint, or my face geometry, something like that. Two-factor authentication is becoming quite simple because... The systems that are in big hospitals and even small doctor's practices have a swipe card. So you, you pull up the screen, you put in your password, you put in your ID, and you swipe your card, and it says, this is Sue Miller authenticated to get onto this system. So yes, I think two-factor two authentication um, should be necessary at the beginning because this is very special data. So what other security technologies and strategies should group practices consider? Well, I think one that's going to help enormously is one that's come along under the High Tech Act, and that's breach notification. I think everybody is going to have to deal with breaches and breach notification, and I would think that a good EHR system would help you do the auditing on that so that you could find the breaches right away, not the back end by saying, oh, I'll look at the data and I'll find a breach, but in some way alerting you to those kinds of things. And, of course, we have the basics that go along with any kind of system that people operate, and that would be training and more training and more training and, of course, good policies and procedures. 
Any other advice you'd offer to group practices regarding steps they can take to ensure the security of the records in their systems? Well, yes. Um, I think it's the same thing it's always been. When you look at a system, who's standing behind it but you and me? And we are people. We make mistakes, but we have to make sure that people don't make too many mistakes and that they can't willfully make a mistake. So your greatest strength is your people, and sometimes your greatest weakness is your people. For instance, you can train people on HIPAA privacy and security, and it, HIPAA privacy in particular has been become ubiquitous in our world. You walk in and nobody wonders anymore what a notice of privacy practice is. But do you still have a yellow sticky with your password on it? Do three of you use the same password? Those kinds of simple things are things that you have to do in this new environment as well in any other. I suggest you have some sort of a positive way to report issues so that it's not a negative to report and the person who's reported or the activity that's reported is also not thought of as negative until there's a full investigation. One place I worked had something called the M&M Award. It was given to somebody in the office once a month. It was a huge bag of M&Ms. So everybody knew you won the award. You've, you've done something good for the office. And then you could have the M&Ms on your, your uh, desk and let everybody come and take some, and they would know that you did something well. If you do it this way, you're going to make security part of your culture. You make it fun. Not all security is fun. I don't mean that. But it is thoughtful. And if somebody sees a mistake or they think it's a mistake, they have the ability then to go talk to the office manager or the clinician and say, I think something's wrong. And nobody gets into trouble to begin with because they're taught that we want to find the mistakes. We want to fill the holes. Well, thank you very much. We've been talking today with Susan Miller. This is Howard Anderson of Information Security Media Group. Thanks so much for listening.